All right. So, Trisha, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this podcast. Um, it's great to see you. Um, how have you been? I'm well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So how about we um, get right into this? Um, I'd love to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. So what was that like and how did it begin and where did you where did it bring you today? Yeah, so I uh, founded my startup five years ago. Um, it was called Armarium. It was a luxury rental platform. Uh, and the first um, that introduced global luxury brands to the sharing economy and luxury customers. And it derived from uh, a concept and an idea I had from experience when I was at Ferragamo for a decade and realizing that the customer behavior was shifting and adopting the sharing economy, both with rental and resale um, and shopping differently. And I knew the luxury brands were trying to reach that more modern, useful customer. And we developed Armarium very differently than Rent the Runway and many other mass rental platforms out there to become uh, a marketing arm and experience both for customers and the luxury brands. And we were very successful. Um, partnering with over 100 luxury brands that had never been a part of the sharing economy before. And we probably did over 50 pop-ups. So we partnered for the first time with full-price retailers from uh, Le Bon Marche in Paris to Browns in London to the Webster in the US um, to really um, complement what you might buy full price, whether that would be a black dress and rent the statement handbag that you wouldn't want to own and rewear, or you could um, buy the shoe to complement the dress you would rent. So it really was an exercise in architecting your wardrobe di di differently. Um, what I learned was um, and to play in the luxury industry um, and to really build the service that we needed to um, partner and service our luxury brands and customers is that it took a lot of cash. And we sadly closed the business in March, largely as a product of the pandemic. Uh, we were servicing many women's uh, event calendars. So with nowhere to go, nowhere to travel, there were no rentals. So luckily we made the decision to close the business um, right at the start of the pandemic. Um, and I became very or further passionate on bringing luxury brands into new business models where they could reach new customers. And so I am today the chief brand officer of the luxury stores at Amazon, which is a new initiative that Amazon launched two months ago. That's awesome. Um, so the Armarium sounds very interesting and I'm, I'm curious to get more into detail on the actual like times in which it was seemed to be most successful. So like were there certain events, let's say like Paris fashion week where you found like your most uh, customers or were there other times in which or other events that you seem to be able to reach the most customers? Yeah, I mean, we built our Mariam um, to really become an experience for aspirational luxury customers or existing luxury customers um, to try new fashion, new brands. So our first customer was um, probably 29 years old and she rented a dress for $250 for her first date. And she was excited hmm. about that moment, but it wasn't necessarily a black tie wedding or event. So it quickly um, allowed us to understand the power of how we could position this and scale the business far and beyond just black tie events. But when we really needed to um, focus, you know, and think short term about um, revenues, we could go to Los Angeles with a pop-up experience for award season 
January through March, where typically that's a very slow retail um, calendar time for the rest of, of the landscape and make a lot of revenue and, and gain customers. So we would hit certain pivotal um, peak you know, areas around events, such as award season. We would have a presence in the Hamptons during the summertime where there were many parties versus you know, everyone being very casual um, and in swim attire and, you know, workout attire in the other parts of the country during those summer months, which are also slow for retail. Oh, awesome. So, um, were you mostly going through your pop-ups or could you also go online to do these? So the experience was online. Um, you could reach our through a mobile app or a website or a New York city showroom that we had on fifth Avenue and then the multiple pop-ups. So the pop-ups we really used to introduce a new customer to rentals. So she would come in and work with a stylist. We would style her, get her measurements, all of her likes and dislikes. And from that point forward, she usually became an online customer. So it really was a marketing initiative for us. Obviously service the customer and her AOV was much higher offline. Her UPTs were much higher offline. Um, but we really got to understand how to further her Armarian experience from that point forward online. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. And you found that the pop-ups helped you reach like different customers as well. And then they would Correct. switch to online. And they really educate them on rental and debunk a stigma that was largely associated with rental when we began this business five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they would come in and say, cool, I just rented a most fantastic Belmont dress, which is uh, $5,000. I rented it for 500. I can wear it all weekend or, you know, to this most amazing event this weekend and I'm going to be on Instagram or seeing everyone that I know. So I would never wear this again anyway. And so, you know, it really became a quick aha moment once the customer saw the impeccable condition of the garment and then experienced it. Um, Okay. So, and then in terms of international, did you just kind of focus on Paris and London mainly or were there other cool places you tried out? No, we were definitely U.S. focused, and that was largely because our hub was in New York. Okay. And the shipments had to be one to two day maximum because the utilization of the inventory is key in the rental business. The mm-hmm. garment cannot be shipped for seven days or five days to Beirut, you know, for a wedding, and then that's time, you know, five to seven days back. Makes so sense. we largely focused on the U.S. due to our hub being in New York and those shipping constraints. Cool. That totally makes sense. Um, so then I guess um, from from your experience at Armarium and now today, how do you know your own value um, as, as a person running a business or working for a business? I think I, I have an innate understanding of the luxury customer in the luxury industry. And that was, you know, primarily um, gained when I was working at Ferragamo and, and really working to tell a more youthful fashion relevant story from a very storied um, traditional heritage brand, you know, and the luxury brands, um, have spent billions of dollars marketing and building their brands over sometimes hundreds of years. Right. And they don't necessarily need new business models to dilute or cannibalize their business. And so it's important for me to find this middle ground of understanding the, the, uh, luxury brands and what makes them tick, but also what is new, right? That could be Amazon, it could be rental, it could be new forms of distribution. And then how that marries um, sort of their business uh, as it is, you know, today. And, you know, for me, I, I think it's just my ties back to my values, which are, you know, a lot of passion, Mm -hmm. and being very honest, you know, these brands 
It is a relationship. They're trusting you. They're handing you your, their baby, whether it is, you know, to rent or to, you know, be on Amazon, which has historically been very spooky to the brands. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what um, my value is and kind of how it ties back to my, my core sense of values. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs, especially with their first business, are like, that's my baby. So they try their hardest to make sure that they can reflect their own values upon their first business to make sure that they're actually creating a business conducive for trust within customers. And your team. Your team is yeah. working for you and your vision. So it's up to you every day to get up, excite, inspire, and really lead the team. You're leading a lot of the industry. They're following you. And Armarium never bought a lot of the inventory. You know, so we weren't giving hard cash to these brands. They were mm-hmm. giving us their brand and their product on consignment by pure vision or trust in our vision. Oh, cool. So were you paying them like a uh, stipend for using the, the product? Yeah, we would pay like them a, commission? a revenue share yeah, off okay. the rental. Cool. Which sometimes, you know, added up to be more than what we would have bought the product for at wholesale value. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the issue with, with selling equity sometimes. <laughs> um, so I guess... In what ways do you think that your um, journey with Armarium tested your courage? And when we embarked on, I had a co-founder who stepped out of the business in 2017, but you know, we embarked on this very excitedly. You know, the market, when we started this journey in 2014 and officially launched in 2015, was shelling out tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to e-commerce startups in luxury fashion. Mm-hmm. And that quickly, quickly changed as you know the years progressed from 2015 to 2020 so i mean our courage was tested on a daily basis you know we really had to push through we were underfinanced, um and that courage was not just on the potential of failing but like how do i keep paying my team Mm -hmm. they've invested so much time and trust in me and that i think was the hardest piece was that courage being tested and put to you know the limit many times was just like how do I pay our brands that have supported me and believed in me and our team as sort of the finance industry wide started to dry up? Okay. Yeah, no, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Um, definitely your first um, business running takes a lot of courage because you, you're kind of going in a little blindsided in the sense that you don't necessarily know how everything's going to work out without the necessary abilities that you have under your belt when you've already tried three or four or five businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, that definitely takes some courage. Um, and that's what a lot of entrepreneurs will say is the hardest part is that, that first business and watching it maybe tumble or do well, but like, it, it's hard to then be able to rebound and start the next one. That's like potentially. Yeah. Um, so do you have any examples? I know you said that you, um, honesty was a big value for you and your company, but do you have any examples where you were challenged to be honest and you, how did that play out if, if it happened? Yeah, I think just going back to like raising money, which is honestly where I spent more than 50% of my time. We should have, that's one of your questions later, but looking back on your path as an entrepreneur, is there anything you would have done differently? That is raise more money at the front. Mm -hmm. Everyone will tell you that. And we were like, we're fine. We're going to like see what we can do on a little amount of money, grow the business organically, then ask for a higher valuation. We should have raised more money at the start when it was more plentiful. Um, but you know, so many times you're meeting with investors who are, um, asking you questions that are based on, you know, 
forecast, which are, you know, you can embellish as much as you want. And I think mm -hmm. that's what was super important for us to always be honest on is our, obviously our historical data, but also our projections and like, you know, what attributed to those projections, because, you know, I've seen so many entrepreneurs uh, project higher, et cetera, and really get themselves into a bind, even if they um, get the money at a high valuation, you know, it never pans out not to be incredibly honest with your historical, you know, revenues and data and, and all your projections. Yeah. Um, were you, when you were going to raise money, were you taking on debt or were you looking to give up equity for, for money? Equity. Okay. Um, we did both. Yeah. But would you, would you focus more on equity than debt? Yeah. That makes sense. Um, um, so I guess, did you, um, in your, uh, role in Armarium, like did hope play a, a large role in, in your adventure through, through that company? Yes. I mean, for us, hope was everything because we knew what we were doing would be successful, but we were early to the game, mm -hmm. early in luxury. Luxury is the last to the game. Always. They were the last to e-commerce, right? Um, we knew that if we could ride it out, even if we were financially, you know, uh, distressed or ride out the pandemic, uh, rental will prevail. You know, mm -hmm. if this pandemic will show us anything, it is that customers are purposeful in their shopping decisions and they are less wasteful and they are sustainably focused. Mm -hmm. And no one after this that's going to a wedding that will wear a dress once will spend $5,000 and chuck it. Mm -hmm. You know, so we were super hopeful because we knew what we were building and that it would have lasting staying power. And my first week at Amazon proved that because the biggest fashion house in the world called me to ask me to come run rental for them. Yeah. And so, you know, it is here. And I think that hope and disbelief in like our business model, um, even though we were super early, um, it was important to hold on to that hope and, and, you know, that we would you know be able to ride the wave. So now that you're doing rentals with Amazon, is it nice to get back in the backseat of a company again, rather than having to sit at the front and manage everybody? Do you notice a difference? We're not doing rentals in Amazon. Oh, oh, so my, my focus at Amazon is to bring luxury brands on Amazon for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it's the same pitch to the brands and not in regards to the business model, but to take a risk okay. and to reach a new customer. Um, Amazon, the team that I work on is a startup within Amazon. Um, so it's super scrappy. Frugality is one of Amazon's leadership principles. Um, but yes, there are more resources than I had at Armorium. It's yeah. not in the back seat though. You're definitely in the driver's seat okay, here fair working enough. just as hard. Yeah, that makes sense. I know. I mean, it's like going from one startup to the next startup. There's always a lot of yeah. work that comes along with that. Um, yeah. So do you ever find it hard to be humble and like, how did maybe your journey with Armarium or even Ferragamo up until now, uh, maybe even teach you how to have more humility if, if that happened? Um, you know, I think it's important to learn that and which I did early on, like, you know, knowing where you come from, knowing that you can always ask for more work, you can always do more. Um, and, and that's something that I think my dad instilled in me early on. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't, um, you know, my career hasn't come easy. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have a path forward in New York city, like many people have in fashion, you know, that have, you know, maybe grown up in the fashion industry, et cetera. Um, so I think, you know, the hard work, um, 
you know, and, and that drive and work ethic that was instilled in me from an early age um, has allowed me and kept me very humble, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a passion for this industry and further evolving it. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like if I was starting my own business, the hardest place to be humble would probably be in front of a group of investors because you don't want to sound like you're selling yourself short. So I feel like those are the times where I, if I were in that position, I'd probably try to exaggerate at least a little bit. <laughs> I know it's, it's like, or, you know, LVMH, you know, yeah. you are coming in there, um, for the first time, you know, asking for their partnership with a new business model that they have historically, you know, never considered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you talked about, um, how there, you reached like a point with Armarium and it being mainly focused on the pandemic that, um, you started to doubt yourself on the sense that the, the business might be able to not handle this. Like, did that teach you resilience in any way? Or do you think, um, that maybe it was more just like you just realized and being realistic had to just cut your losses where they were? We fought for a while. We tried to sell the company mm -hmm. to a strategic partner, which is how we built the company, never to IPO. It was always a plug-in to an existing full-price retail business, online or offline. And you know, at that time, when we were trying to sell the business six months prior to launching, um, we had a lot of very interesting fights. We had a lot of people take our IP and rip us off <laughs> in various ways. Um, and I think just exhausting that entire trail with various investment bankers, various, very close advisors who were esteemed in the industry, you know, just all of us being realistic and recognizing that we had tried almost everything that would make sense for the business, you know, and with the approaching pandemic coming in from China and Italy, you know, we knew then that, you know, should this hit our day-to-day -day revenues and business, you know, we won't have enough to survive. So yeah, we did make the decision, but we did show an extreme amount of, of resilience throughout. Yeah. And I know you were saying that it took a lot of cash to keep your business running. So especially in a time where customers aren't necessarily needing luxury brands because they're sitting in sweatpants watching Netflix all day. Um, exactly. It'd be hard to keep up with those cash demands. Yeah. Well, our business was not a subscription rental business yet, mm -hmm. which serviced more day-to-day -day needs like workwear, like yep. rent a runway. So we were largely event driven, whether you're a hot day, weekend away at Coachella, it was an event, right? Mm -hmm. In your mind, it was an event. Um, so with no travel and no events, it absolutely did not make sense. Yeah, that, 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 that does make sense though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are there any other virtues of a character that are important in your life um, that I didn't get a chance to touch on? I think positivity, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think there is such, um, uh, an important role in an entrepreneur and a leader to be extremely positive. Mm -hmm. And I see that where I am now as well, you know, um, there could be a lot of, you know, independent sort of siloed, um, individuals, but, you know, being a leader is tough and, um, it's really, really, really important to remain positive because you're constantly inspiring and motivating the group. And I think that is, you know, uh, very much a, a personal as well as professional character and, and, and trait. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. Positivity and optimism are definitely a great way to keep you going. It also installs a lot of, or instills a lot of hope in you, which is also yeah. an important part of positivity that all goes hand yeah. in hand. Um, so what are some of the most difficult temptations or occupational hazards of being an entrepreneur in your opinion? 
well, the rental business could have been a real hazard with COVID. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> you know, no one wants to be wearing clothing, um, you know, that it's someone else just came off someone's back the day before, even though it has been cleaned. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and that's, that's very literal. Um, you know, the temptation to quit. Yeah. You know, and just, you know, many of my friends are getting married, having kids. And, you know, that was, I started my business when I was 32 years old, mm-hmm. you know, and that was a pivotal time for me to say, why am I doing all of this? Mm-hmm. You know, when things got tough. But I think, again, going back to resilience and hope and tenacity keeps you going because you know ultimately what you are building and want to build. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I feel like, um, at least for me, like it, starting my own business, especially at a college, scares me because it's like you don't necessarily have that salary that you might need to get off of living for the first few years. And so yeah. the, the entrepreneurship uh, head makes fun of us sometimes in our classes. He's like, I don't know why you guys are all so scared to start a business. He's like, yeah, they fail, but then you make another one. He's like, that's what I did. And um, it's just funny because it's like, he says like, we have such a great program here, except most of the Wake students go to find that first job out of college that actually gives them a salary before they even think about starting a business. So it's just, <laughs> it's interesting to think about. It is. One of my friends today has a startup that is is not doing so well with, during this time. And he launched another one today. And I was like texting him, like, where did that come from? He was like, you can I imagine how easy it's been. And it has a slightly different business model. In some ways, it harkens back to like what he's he's building overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was it was easier um, in terms of the business model, and he was, you know, the the audience, and he in turn was easier to get money. Mm-hmm. It's all about the money. Yep. If you can raise the money, um, then that will tell you right there your business model is not too complex and it is potentially scalable, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that stung the most with Armarium is to your invest, uh, your professor's point of just start when you can start another one is our business was extremely um, press worthy. Mm-hmm. We were in a ton of press and we had the brands that made a lot of noise on our on board. And we had the customers that made a lot of noise, ambassadors and influencers making a lot of noise. So the business seemed much larger than it was. And when we, you know, decided to shut down, um, you know, it didn't seem like, oh, my, you know, B2B software I've just built in the backyard is shutting down because, you know, we didn't have an audience for it. This seemed like, oh God, this is so embarrassing. And people were like, how did this happen? I thought you guys were killing it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that also made it really tough to be in that type of line of work when we had put so much around it and you know it's a consumer facing business as well so i think it also depends on what is the business that goes under or succeeds and how it affects you and and your go forward yeah no i I totally agree with you um do you have any uh like moral role models that you look up to when you do your day-to-day work or in the past even yeah i know this sounds probably expected or cheesy, but my mom, Mm -hmm. you know, she's the most honest person. She's the most giving and caring person. Um, She's tough. You know, my mom ran for, you know, state Senate (laughs) and lost to someone who didn't even have a high school diploma, you know, and won't stop, you know, continues to devote almost all of her time to the state of Mississippi in terms of economic development. And so, you know, I'm not uh, versed to, to challenge and risk. And I think I learned a lot of that from my mom. 
And I also had an amazing investor who um, was the founding investor of Netaforte. So, you know, she knows the luxury industry. She is entirely self-made. She's extremely respected and she taught me a lot. You know, you never kind of want to be um, the head of a mouse. You want to be the tail of a lion, right? And so I think that's important for an entrepreneur to know early on is like, I know what I know and I know what I don't know, mm-hmm. whether that's equity or advisors or a team, like let's build it, you know? And I think that was some of the best advice I got uh, from Carmen. Yeah, I, I like that uh, analogy. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that one before. That's a cool one. Um, so I guess you, you, you kind of already answered my question about if there's anything you do, you, you would have done differently. It would be to, to raise more capital at the end of the day, right? Early on. Yeah. That makes, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Um, how do you think you could have used that extra capital early on to benefit yourself? We would have put more in team and marketing. We okay. never invested in marketing. So the business, you know, was largely built organically. Um, and you know, uh, that's tough when you're trying to show a certain amount of growth month over month and your, you know, competitive set, whether it's a, you know, direct consumer business in the space or another rental space is spending, you know, a hundred thousand million dollars a month on paid marketing and you're spending zero, you're not showing that same growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much information you're allowed to disclose, but like how, if, if you're allowed to say, how is Amazon maybe thinking about marketing? Or is that, is that private? <laughs> you know, the, well, I can tell you that, you know, the business that I'm a part of um, is uh, called Luxury Stores mm-hmm. and it is available to U.S. Prime members. So there's 150 million Prime members. And so this will roll out globally. And so some of the projects we're working on are, you know, maybe in tandem with Prime Video, which also has hundreds of millions of, of uh, members as well. So, you know, it is different type of audience Mm -hmm. and that's why i think that there obviously is a selling point to the brands to be a part of it but obviously we want to um partner with the brands to tell their best story Mm -hmm. you know and um use that traffic to their advantage for storytelling and marketing just as much as commercial purposes i yeah no that makes sense and i remember when i was told that you started working at um the amazon fashion industry i'd actually already heard of it because i'd seen an ad with cara delavine for the new amazon fashion thing so I thought that was pretty I know, funny. I remember that. You're yeah. right on it. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, what advice do you have for college students who are aspiring entrepreneurs? I think you have to think about, you know, your career um, as an entrepreneur, whether it's, you know, working in your own business and starting your own business or working for a business. You know, mm-hmm. I thought when I was at Ferragamo, I mean, I ran that department marketing in the U.S., like my name was on the door. I took it extremely seriously. I built that team. I built that business. You know, we took on digital initiatives and launched the first global digital initiatives when brands weren't doing that on the internet. You know, Instagram influencers weren't, weren't even a thing. So, you know, I think you have to think entrepreneurially about multiple career paths, right? And I think that level of commitment and resilience and drive you know, really, really set you apart for everyone else who is going to be coming up and is very much nine to five or, you know, focused on their personal life, which I also think is very important. But I also think your 20s and 30s are for working. Mm -hmm. If you're going to build something or make a career, you know, for yourself, you, you know, need a specific 
and clear path um, and dedication to to that. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly for in New York City. Yeah. No, there's a lot of drive in New York City for sure. Um, all right. Well, I think that maybe everything I have. Is there anything else you want to say to that? You, that you, I didn't get a chance to ask. Um, no, I think you covered it. All right. Well, That's I. Great. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate your time and your your um, answers were very thoughtful and good, and I, I appreciate that as well. So I want to thank you, um, and thank you. I want to thank the listeners who are listening. Um, my name is Tyler Morris, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Dave, do you want to come sit?